Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Are you sick and tired of high electricity bills? Anywhere from $200 per month or higher? Do you own a home or business and have been looking for a reputable solar company to give you a no-pressure-free quote? Well, contact Ethical Solar Solutions today and see why hundreds of people are saving thousands of dollars every year making the switch to solar without spending a dime out of pocket. Get your obligation-free quote today. In this episode, I sit down with fellow world traveler Phil D'Entremont. Phil is a world traveler from Canada who one day decided to ride his bicycle from British Columbia, Canada, all the way to the southern tip of Argentina. In this episode, we dive deep in sharing some of our craziest stories from encountering narcos in Mexico and Colombia to our first experiences with ayahuasca to fighting in a Peruvian Fight Festival. You do not want to miss this episode. We are back. Welcome to Get Lost with Nick Hefke on the Bleed Podcast Network. I'm here with my buddy, Phil, who is going to tell us an absolutely epic story. But before we get into it, Phil, please introduce yourself and we will go from there. What's up, Nick? My name is Phil. I met Nick in Guadalajara, Mexico. I don't know how many years ago now while I was, well, Maybe you'll, you'll do the introduction, but uh, Nick and I have known each other for a few years now, and uh, pleasure to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, ladies and gentlemen, I met this legend at a hostel in Guadalajara, Mexico, prior to going absolutely crazy throughout the city, where I don't know how you and I didn't get stabbed. But what brought me to get him onto this podcast here today is his story and what he was doing in Mexico and how he got there, which was absolutely epic. So just to give you a very condensed version, my buddy Phil decided to ride his bicycle all the way from British Columbia, Canada, down to the southern tips of Argentina, and he is here to tell that epic story with us today. I'm currently in Cartagena, Colombia, where I just gave a an official wedding ceremony, where I was literally the dude who was like officializing everything, and we'll get into that a little further into the podcast. But Phil, I want you to walk me through a little of how the hell you got into Guadalajara what that all looks like. Just walk me through that real quick. Okay, so like you said, went on a bicycle trip from 2015 to 2017. Two-year trip took me from Vancouver, British Columbia to the bottom of South America. I suppose the place to begin is when I first had the idea was when I was about 14 years old. And I, I think a lot of us have crazy ideas at that age. And I was no exception to that trend. I, and I, for some reason, this idea just burned a hole in me and would not leave me alone to the point where, you know, 10 years later, I still haven't told anybody, but it's still in my mind. Like I definitely need to go on this trip. So I ended up following that intuition, even though I didn't have all the information, even though 
a bunch of people were telling me it was a kind of a silly idea. I ended up following that intuition because it had been with me for so long. It had been such a stable feeling. I felt like I've got to follow this and see where it goes. So 10 years later, end up leaving on the trip. And that was September 21st, 2015. And I had never rode, ridden a bicycle further than 50 kilometers in a single shot. So 30 miles in a single shot. So it was definitely a stretch to think that I'd be able to make it all the way. But um, yeah, ended up doing it, which is nuts even now to say those words out loud. So left in September. And I think we connected in Guadalajara a couple months after that. I can't say exactly, but that's the Genesis story, man. That's what got me out of the out of the door and on my way. I love it, dude. So walk me through how the fuck you are physically able to do that. How does somebody literally ride their bicycle? And ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, this was like an old school bicycle that Phil had taken from BC to Mexico. Like, just walk me through the logistics there. How were you able to do that? Oh, man. Um, well, that bicycle definitely helped. Lorena, she's my heart and soul. And she, you know, I, I, I basically just got on top of her and she led the way. Like, you know, um, I got to give mad, mad credit to Lorena for getting me there. But um, no, like really, logistically, all it involved was a tent, a stove. I think I had uh, some headphones, sleeping bag, sleeping mat, and just enough piss and vinegar. And, and I was crazy enough to think I could do it. That's, that's honestly all it, all it involves. So it didn't put a lot of thought into logistics. I got my bases covered. I was really fortunate in, in Vancouver. I was really fortunate to connect with folks who had done it before. So that was like so helpful just because I was able to say, okay, what is the bare minimum stuff I need in order to even think about doing something like this and say, okay, definitely get a tent, definitely get a stove, get this stove, not that stove. So I just got the bare minimum that I thought I'd need. And I just took off. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of thought into logistics. I learned a lot as I went along. I made a lot of mistakes early on. Thankfully, I made most of those mistakes in America, where there's a lot more wiggle room. If you make a mistake, it's not as big of a deal. If you make a mistake in Mexico, it's a bit of a bigger deal. Make a mistake in America, it's not as big of a deal. So thankfully, I had kind of a warm-up country before I got into Latin America and things got a little more hairy. I love it, dude. So, okay. So you take your bicycle, you get all the way down to Guadalajara, and you keep on going from there, and you made it all the way to the end of Argentina. So walk me through some of the most ridiculous, crazy, I mean, you wouldn't believe it until you hear it from your mouth type of experiences that you encountered on this epic voyage. Outside of meeting me. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, number one was meeting Nick Hefke. Um, oh, duh. Dude, duh. Duh, yeah, it doesn't even deserve <laughs> mentioning. And just the, the carnage that we inflicted on that poor bar in Guadalajara. So that's number one. Um, but yeah, I was, I was actually going through a few journals prepping for this, and I forgot how much crazy shit actually happened on that trip. Like, with the passage of time, you just kind of forget, like, oh, man, there's a lot of nutty stuff that happened, like, so like, you know, some of the crazy, like I've run into narco-traficantes in Mexico, party with some off-duty cops in Guatem Guatemala, uh, getting a fist fight in Peru in this like fist fighting festival in Peru, 
I go through guerrilla territory in Colombia, far control guerrilla ter territory in Colombia. So there's just like, a, there was a list of things that were completely insane. When I was reading my journals, I said, I can't believe I actually did this stuff. But I think like with the, the guerrilla territory and the narco contest, they were just, I think the reason I was able to get through those areas so well is because I was so, I was the complete opposite of a threat. Even though I was a foreigner, I think they just looked at me and they're like, this guy's a psycho. Like he's, he's on his bicycle back here. We've never seen someone on their bicycle back here. Like we're just going to let him continue down the road. I don't think he's trying to, you know, mess with anything. I don't think any of, like he's, he's you know, none of the, the women around here are interested in him. Like he's just completely harmless. He's just going to keep biking down the road. Like he's just a psycho. So it was way different than if I came in and I had like a land cruiser and a bunch of expensive stuff. You know, so I was able to kind of squeak through those sketchier areas unscathed, luckily. But uh, yeah, there's just a ton of crazy stuff that happened on the course of the trip. I love it. So let's let's just rewind a little bit. I mean, the narco story, you're definitely going to have to explain that a little bit more in detail. But prior to that, let's go into the fist fight, right? A Peruvian yeah. fist fight. So you're cruising through on your bicycle. You've made it down to Peru which is totally super badass. Now, walk me through how you got into a fight in the first place. What was that like, and how did that even come abroad? So the fist fight, so yeah, it's a, it's a fist fighting festival. If you want to look it up, um, T-A-K-A-N-U-K-U-Y, Takanukui. If, yeah, if you want to learn the actual what it's about, you can go on Google and learn what it's about. My experience with it was that I was in the Cusco area around New Year's. I met someone outside Cusco and they said, you're going to enjoy, if you go to the airport, go back into Cusco, go to the airport, turn left, there's a festival there, you're going to like it. And there was a, there's a few times on the trip that I took people's advice like that. Most times, you know, you kind of ignore stuff like that. But in that time, I said, I'm going to follow this. I, I like this guy's energy. I like what this guy is saying and I'm going to follow his advice. So I went to the airport, I turned left and I found this fist fighting festival that was taking place in this, I don't know, this um, kind of abandoned arena. It looked like a bullfighting arena, like open arena. I was the only non-Peruvian there. I'm going, I'm, I'm strolling in with my, my bicycle, Lorena at my side. And everyone's looking at me like, I, I may as well have been an alien. Everyone was staring at me. Um, and the fist fights start. I start drinking beers. I start talking to a few different people. And I make this little buddy. Um, he's like probably 12, 13 years old. I befriend this guy. And I ask him, I said, hey, do you know if gringos are allowed to fight in this thing? And there were there's some people around us. As soon as I said that, it just spilled throughout the crowd. Like it just, everyone, it seemed like everyone in the whole arena within a minute knew that I had inquired about fighting. So after like a minute or two after that, I was just being pushed into the center of the arena. There's probably 2000 people here. There's a video on Facebook. I'm not sure what the official head count would be. And the guy in the, the loudspeaker just started saying, who wants to fight the gringo? Who wants to fight the gringo? <laughs> and I have my buddy out there and he's, he's translating for me. And he's like, they're looking for someone to fight for you, uh, fight you. And someone eventually comes into the center of the ring. His name is Papachula. I'm still friends with him on Facebook. And the little, my little buddy says, the only rule is when you go to the ground, there's no fighting. And watch out because he's got steel toe boots. 
And then the <laughs> referee snaps his, uh, I don't know what he had. He got kind of like a shoelace. He snapped it on the ground. And then we started fighting. And it was, it was 10 seconds in a cloud of dust. Um, wound up, I think, in my, you know, not to toot my own horn, I think I won. I think I, I got the best of them. I probably did also have a 60-pound weight advantage. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was just crazy. And then after that fight happened, it was just like I was the the toast of the event. Like everyone just wanted to buy me beers, find out what how I found out about it, um, learn more about me, and, yeah, ended up getting completely obliterated, absolutely inebriated with these people, and ended up passing out at the – ceremony grounds i passed out in this like shed and i woke up i was like man where's my bike where's all my stuff and i found that my little head my little buddy had tucked it in the shed and i woke up i went outside the shed i said i found my little buddy who was sitting outside and he said man gringo you were messed up last night breaking <laughs> everything away because you were messed up um so i had uh, my little buddy looking out for me but um yeah that was that was crazy that was uh that was takanuki i think i have a video of it on Gringo go go for a better, probably better just to watch the video than to hear the story. But that was one I don't think I'll uh, I'll forget. Dude, I absolutely love that. So you get into a fight over in Peru. You decide to participate into that crazy festival. Go and test your limits. No martial arts experience. Fuck it, just send it. Enjoy the moment. Do something crazy while traveling. You're in South America. Why not? So walk me through some other crazy experiences that you endured on that trip. I mean, fighting in Peru, and you just mentioned that you had gone and done or went through guerrilla-like trafficking. What was that like? And walk me through that experience. So those, those two start. there's the encountering the narcos in Mexico and then biking through the guerrilla territory in Colombia. But there's also like, yeah, just a whole bunch of other stuff. But the, the narcos in Mexico, I was, it was my first day leaving Tijuana. I was at this little roadside um, eatery having a taco. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely the only foreigner there. I'm having a little taco. I'm just kind of looking around. I'm like, this is pretty cool. This is pretty authentic Mexico. And then this huge SUV rolls up, blacked out windows, nice looking rigs rolls up. And it's weird because all the other cars are shit. But this car is like this, this really nice new SUV. And these three guys come up. They walk into the restaurant. And they look at me. And no one else is talking in the restaurant. They, they, they look directly at me. And they come over. and say, hey, gringo, what are you doing here? And I, my, my Spanish still isn't very good. At that point, it was even worse. And I, I just started saying, like, yeah, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a stupid gringo. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm trying to bike across Mexico. <laughs> started making fun of myself and it took probably two or three jokes like where i had made fun of myself before they cracked and then they just started laughing they're like this guy's this guy's an idiot um and <laughs> well i able to, i was able to kind of dissolve the situation or uh, uh diffuse the situation but it definitely came in with a lot of tension definitely like they were sizing me up are we gonna fuck with this guy or not are we gonna take his shit but it, you know just from probably a bit of luck and then a bit of being able to make fun of myself was able to diffuse the situation and then as I was leaving, I went to, they, then they left. And then as I was leaving, I went to pay. And they said, no, no, they paid for your stuff. So yeah, th then they told me who it was. Like, those guys are like the narcos around here. Like, they like, run drugs through Tijuana. They paid for your meal. Um, so 
<laughs> pretty cool, man. And in the end, you're able, you're able to befriend them. But there'd be so many close calls like that, like where language, like sometimes you say the wrong thing. Like I remember I was in El Salvador, my first day in El Salvador, I was on the beach and I was camping like it wasn't a campground. It was, it wasn't, it was just camping on like kind of in the forest by the beach. And I was sitting there as the sun was going down. I was looking at these guys play soccer, football, soccer, and the ball is kicked toward me. And these are, these are young guys, probably like 14 to 17 years old. Like they're, they're looking pretty tough. Like they look like they've, you know, um, they can handle themselves. And they asked me if I want to play with them. And in my Spanish, I say, no, you are better. That's what I think I say. But may do you speak any Spanish? I, I've pretty much memorized like 10 sentences and have just been recycling those for the last eight years. <laughs> <laughs> All across South Central America, dude, just recycling the same shit over and over again. Somehow it just uh, works. El baño, donde está? Exactly. So yeah, I, I, I got confused between um, mejores, my Spanish accent's terrible, but mejores is like better, mujeres is women. So I confuse, <laughs> I confuse women with better. So they, this is the first time I've talked to them. They're like, kind of size me up. Okay, maybe we'll, we'll extend an olive branch to this gringo. Do you want to play with us? And I say, no, you're a bunch of women. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, like, there's anything wrong with being a woman, but they were definitely taken, taken aback. You know, they're like, what the hell? What'd you say? The game stops. They start huddling in on me. And I keep, I keep doubling down on my, I'm like, no, no, no. What I'm trying to say is that you're a bunch of women. And then, like, they're, they're, <laughs> they're closing in on me more. Like, what the fuck? Like one guy's got a knife. I'm like, no, no, no. You are woman than me. And they're like, oh, mejor. You're better, better. I'm like, yeah, better, better. Oh, yeah, better. You guys are better than me. So yeah, just like little funny shit like that. Like it never got to a point where it blew up, thankfully. But there was so many, um, man, language misinterpretation, like getting lost in translation, has the potential. To, to blow up but didn't that time dude i love it i love it and dude your narco story is super badass and since i'm in cartagena colombia right now it's my last day here i thought it would be worthwhile to share my narco story and it happened here in colombia prior to meeting you so that yes. so it was my first trip over into colombia i started off in cartagena right i just showed up without a plan i never have a plan in almost any of my travels i have a flight in and a flight out so i have a flight into cartagena and at this point in time i'm around 21 years old completely by myself don't speak any spanish whatsoever so i meet my lifelong friends here in cartagena who i'm celebrating with at the moment and on my next trip, it's to head over to Medellin. Now, in Medellin, they have a specific tour. It's called a Meet Pablo Escobar's Brother Tour, also known as Roberto Escobar, where you go on this tour and you start going all around Medellin, Colombia, and they give you the lowdown 
of who Pablo Escobar was, what the era during Pablo Escobar was like. They tell you a little bit about, you know, the craziness. So it's basically like a Narcos kind of like summary into two hours. And at the very end of the tour, they allow you to go to Pablo Escobar's old mansion, where if you pay a little extra, you can meet his brother, Roberto who I became friends with, who was a total nice guy. And when I got to meet him, I was like, oh, my God, like, adios mio, nice to meet you. I'm Nick. I wrote a paper on your brother when I was in college. Like, you know, it's super nice to meet you. They love my energy. So we ended up having some tea and some crackers. And I was I was talking to some of the family members. And I was asking for some advice on, like, things to do while you're in Colombia. And they're like, oh, Go to the south of Colombia because I'd already told them that I was going all the way down to Ecuador and then Peru. I had a buddy who had his passport stolen in Quito. So the the goal was to try and get him to get freed out of Quito. So we were trying to brainstorm ways to try and sneak him out of Quito because the UK embassy was taking forever to give him his emergency passport. So I says, okay, I'm not going to fly. Wait, 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 run that back. You're, who was stuck in keto? So one of my good buddies from Australia, who I had met on my first year traveling across Australia, he was on a bus one day in, in Ecuador. He was traveling across Ecuador, and he took some Valium so that he didn't have to endure the eight to nine hours of traveling through. He had his book bag like on in, in his in his front lap, just like hugging it while he's sleeping. And some Ecuador, I don't know who it was, but someone was able to go into his book bag while he was sleeping, took all of his money, his wallet, his passport, his phone, just totally robbed this dude. And he was in Quito waiting months. For the UK embassy to be able to get him his emergency passport so he can keep traveling. So I was like, all right, Shawnee, I'm coming down to Ecuador. We're figuring out a way to get you out of there. We're doing something <laughs> stupid. The stories that him and I had in Ecuador is absolutely ridiculous, definitely inappropriate, and will absolutely be shared on this podcast. But let's reverse back to the narco story. So I now have changed up all my plans where I was initially going to fly directly from Medellin to Quito, right? I was going to travel through South America, but I, I, like I said, I didn't have a plan, but I was really strongly considering flying opposed to taking a bus or any other form of transportation. So I finished the tour. I go back to the hostel that I was staying at and I meet this American dude and he's like, you know, telling me about his travels. He's like, bro, I was just in this small little town called San Augustine, Colombia. And it's this little like, you know, it's it's got a lot of really cool like landscapes. There's this ancient architecture there that you should check out. But one of the coolest things that I did while I was there was if you go to this place called Japanese Hostel, you can do something called the special tour where you literally make your own cocaine with ex cartel members. And they literally, like, they literally make cocaine with you. And it's oh, like, yeah. you know, like drug death. Now I'm not really a fan of cocaine, but I'm always a fan of doing crazy shit. 
in interesting places around the world. If we're talking ayahuasca, if I'm in a legal country where cannabis is legal at a federal or state level, I'm going to go and try and visit a few grow ops. And I said to myself, I was like, I fucking know exactly what I am doing next. Now, again, Phil, zero Spanish. I haven't learned those 10 sentences yet. We're talking zero. I ADHD'd all my Spanish classes in high school and middle school and all that good stuff. So I said to myself, I was like, all right, fuck this. I'm going to bus all the way down to Ecuador. I start talking to a few other friends over at the hostel to see what the logistics look like. Is it safe? Is it sketchy? And it is safe. And it's actually not as sketchy as what I thought it was going to be. So I bus all across Colombia from Medellin down to San Augustine. It was around a nine to 11 hour bus ride, if my memory serves me correctly. I'd taken a lot of stops. I went to Guadalupe. I went to uh, Sorrento. I went to Cali. So I stopped at a bunch of places Cali. along the way. Yeah, so Cali. Cali's a fun town, man. It's, it's a fun place. That's so it. I find... I finally get all the way to San Augustine. It's like 1130 at night. And I am the only gringo that you would find like anywhere in that town. Right. And again, zero Spanish. So all I had to guide me on this adventure is this like little sketchy like business card that says Japanese hostel. Right. So I've got this business card that I'm just like going around the bus station and being like, I want to go there, right? Trying to like figure out ways to like communicate. <laughs> like, does, so, does he work there? Is he selling it? What does he want? <laughs> Everyone's looking at me like, bro, what are you doing here? Like, you know, you, you need to call your parents or something. Like, because again, I'm, I look like a 14 year, overgrown 14 year old. Right, traveling across Colombia with a big backpack on. So finally, this taxi driver is like, Oh, I'm friends with Japanese. Like, he speaks a little bit of English. So I was like, Okay, good enough for me. We agree on a price. And he takes me up this like sketchy mountain where, lo and behold, is Japanese hostel. There's a Colombian guy whose name is Japanese who comes out. I'm like, uh-oh, dude, I'm I'm getting stabbed. This is like, this is where everybody who's like told me about like the dangers of Colombia is going to kick in. So I get over there and this guy is a fucking legend. Cool as shit, dude. He's just like, he initially comes over, he shows me my room and he takes me into his little garden where he's growing pot and he goes, oh, do you want some? I was like, uh, yes like that's this is this is great literally takes a handful gives it to me i pay for the room now it's like 12 o'clock at night and i see these two german dudes who are staying there so i was like oh okay so there's some legitimacy here like you know i can feel semi more safe knowing that i'm not the only person here so finally go to bed wake up the next morning i get a knock on the door it's japanese and he goes okay and it's broken English. Do you want to go on special tour? I'm like, yes. Like, that is why I am here, <laughs> sir. So he's like, okay, 50 US dollars. I forgot what the conversion was at the time. This is back in 2014. 
So I, I give him the 50 bucks. I wait around for like an hour, two hours, and he's like rolling me joints. And here comes some dude with like a, you know, a pistol on his side, like literally looks like the stereotypical narco. And he comes up to me, speaks no English whatsoever, just like pretty much my comprehension of Spanish. And we're like kind of communicating with like, you know, sketchy sign language. And he takes me into this little like crack den. And he gives me a machete and he brings out all these cocoa leaves. And he's like, okay, starts. And I start chopping (laughs) the cocoa leaves with him. He's allowing me to videotape this entire experience. So I still have it on my Google photos. So I'm chopping up these cocoa leaves and he's running through the entire process from A to Z on how to make cocaine from scratch. And I'm literally doing like a Betty Crocker cooking class with this guy on how to make cocaine. We end up making cocaine. Of course, I had to try it. I'm in Colombia, fuck it, like, you know, well in Rome. So me not being a big fan of the of the coke, so I, I decided to give it to some of the guys who were staying over at the hostel, and I'm just smoking weed, chilling out, just like, fire, you know, flabbergasted of just what happened and, like, the whole experience. Like, you know, I'm trying to put the whole video on my Google Drive and make sure I keep that. I still have it to this day. And uh, that is one of my crazy so, narco stories. You were the only person on the tour. Me and the narco guy. all the windows were like you know had like little like like sketchy sheets over them so you couldn't see through it like you know drawing a mental picture of it right now it's probably exactly what everybody's thinking who is hearing this right now as sketchy and crazy as it is so i finished the tour I'm, i'm smoking all this weed and the next tour that i go on is there's this ancient like architecture from I, I forgot like the the tribes that were initially there thousands of years ago who have all of these artifacts across this national mm. park and you can go on these horseback yeah so yeah. you can you can go on these horseback rides and dude I'm like I've got like my four week old like sketchy like mustache so I, I I look ridiculous I've got a little like you know South American hat on and like you know like the kind of poncho type thing and I'm just smoking weed, checking out all this shit, taking pictures, and then from there, dude, I decide to get onto another bus and I start heading down to Quito, and that's where I tried to free my buddy Sean Little. So there's my little narco experience yeah, here, here in lieu of being in Colombia. I thought now would be a good time to share that story. So especially now that you brought up yours, that's. Yeah, it's just crazy, bro. But, that is incredible, man. Did you um, did you get into any? You got you must have tried some ayahuasca at some point. Oh yeah, dude, I did yeah. it in the Sacred Valley in Peru, and yes. uh, well, I did everything that you weren't supposed to. You know, I, uh, you know, anybody who's listening to this or watching this who is thinking of doing ayahuasca, first and foremost, make sure you do it with a registered and legitimate shaman. Absolutely. I would not recommend just doing it by yourself with your buddies. Just fuck around. I'm not saying that's how I did it. But, you know, prior to doing the experience, you have to make sure that you're prepared. And they'll give you, you know, some instructions on how to prepare for this experience. 
One of which is you have to refrain from alcohol, psychotropic medications. You want to make sure you're going in there with some type of a purpose opposed to just, hey, well in Rome, I'm here for an experience. And you also would probably want to make sure you don't want to eat meat. They said a plant-based diet is very highly recommended. You know, in addition to that, refrain from alcohol and excessive partying and things like that. Now, I just went through a really hard breakup where in that South America trip, I was going to go and visit my at the time Norwegian girlfriend who I was seeing over in Australia. And I was going to visit her in Norway and spend Christmas with her and her family. Long story short, that ended up not happening. We went through a breakup while I was in Cusco. So while I'm in Cusco, I say, oh, what's there to do here? Go to Machu Picchu, party around, have a good time. And myself and the buddy who I met at the hostel went down to one of the tour guides and I see the ayahuasca tour and I was like, oh, I am doing that. So some people do it for a few days. Some do it for a week. It all depends on what you feel is best for you. Now, I saw a two-day, one-night ceremony. So I was like, all right, I don't have very much time. I want to go and see my dad for Christmas. So the new plan is to fly to New York and go to Buffalo, Rochester, see my dad and my mom and my family and spend Christmas with them and then go and start traveling Central and South America where a good friend of mine at the time and I were going to sneak into Cuba. Because in 2015, the beginning of 2015, it was still illegal to go to Cuba on a U.S. passport. And I wanted to be one of the one one of the only Americans that I had known to be able to sneak in and still be able to tell a story without being in a Cuban prison. Total different story. So going back to the ayahuasca, the shaman told us, right, well, the lady who set up the tour, who was representing the shaman at the time, was like, okay. No eating meat, no having sex, no drinking, no psychotropic medication, at least two weeks, or at least at the very, very, very minimum, this is stretching it four days before the tour. Now, I had broke every single one of those laws. And on top of that, right before the tour, I had a massive like bacon cheeseburger, which I would be soon to regret. So go on the tour, right? I'm with some really cool people. There was a girl from Denmark who I'm just fucking around with, just making fun of, being like, oh, this is going to be the last experience of your life. I hope you updated your will. Just like, just, just fucking with her, being an asshole. So we get, to the, we get to the Sacred Valley. You meet the Sacred Valley tribe. And, bro, I had no idea what I was getting myself into because... Bro, the first ceremony, oh my God, I met my demon. Let's put it that way. Like I, I couldn't really find the words to describe what that trip was like, but mate, it was absolutely insane. And to this day, I still have nightmares of some of the trip that I had from that. And... I'm going to have like a separate episode of ayahuasca um, because I am looking forward to doing another ceremony. 
Uh, I don't know if I'll go back to Peru to do it. Mexico, Colombia might be another destination where I do round two. Costa Rica's got quite a few very well-respected, renowned ayahuasca retreats. Um, but that is a little a nutshell of that experience. But I've been talking for a little while. So let me ask you, brother, have you ever done ayahuasca, especially on this trip? Yes, I've done it. I think I ended up doing it five times in the trip. Um, wow. Two times shot me into the stratosphere, completely gone. One time was okay, and then the next next two times were kind of kind of duds. Um, but I first did it in um, Popayan, which is near that part of Colombia you were just talking about, San Agustin. So that's where I first I first did it. I did it with a guy named Lucho Flores, who's kind of like the the shaman in that area. And yeah, man, kind of like you. First time you do it, completely unprepared. Um, <laughs> But you just like got to be open and ready for whatever's going to happen. And Lucho, like this guy's, once you get there and you spend some time with him, like you realize why he's so highly recommended. Like he just like really sets the tone for the session, the ceremony, uh, puts everybody at ease. Just got a really like calm nature about him. But yeah, man, I remember he looked at me and he said, try to keep the medicine in, in for as long as you can before you vomit. It's hard. It's so I made, yeah, it is. But I, I took that as like a personal challenge. I'm like, I'm going to keep this in for Lucho until it actually comes out of my eyeballs. <laughs> and everybody else purged before me. I was lying in my sleeping bag and I could feel like, okay, I really want to vomit now, but I'm going to keep it in as long as I can. And then I felt this sensation from my toes and I felt like I was a tube of toothpaste and it was just scrunching me up from the toes. <sighs> And I could feel that every, every breath I was taking, I was getting further and further up until I was like, okay, my head's going to explode. And that's when I got out of my sleeping bag and I ran. And when the sensation got to my head, it was just, it just projectile. Um, and, you know, we're not painting a very good image of what ayahuasca is like. You have to get the <laughs> before you get to the, the good stuff. But there is definitely <laughs> a purge associated with it. Some people have it come out the other end. That time I had, had vomiting. Um, but there's a really intense clarity that follows that if you're lucky. Yes. Um, yeah. So that that is one thing. Let's let's talk about that because I was going to add a little bit at the very end about just how freeing that sensation is mm. of puking, especially after yeah. taking ayahuasca. I t like that is one of the most freeing experiences I've ever had when I first puked on my mm. purge, and like. I, I struggle to find words to describe what that is like. Maybe you can do it a little bit better, but that is like in my, in, in, if I were describing it, it would be like climbing a very difficult, you know, mountain or hill where, you know, you're, you're climbing for seven or eight hours. It's strenuous. It's hard. It yeah. sucks. It's really, really, really hard on the body. You're like, Oh, fuck this. But once you get to the top, once you actually see the view, once you see the sunset, once you get up there, you get that feeling of, wow, it was all worth it. This view is absolutely sensational. If I had to create some type of a comparison in any way, that's where I would kind of put my experience towards that. Did you experience something similar? Yeah, I think the mountaintop is a good way to look at it because it, you do get that sense of perspective, like, like you had climbed a mountain. It's like you're just looking around and know, you see things more clearly. I, I, I distinctly remember like every member of my family and everyone that I loved 
coming before me like a video game character and rotating like I was going to select them and all of their stats were like each memory I had with them. It was the it was the it was the craziest shit but it was like okay this is my this is my mom this is my dad and it was just like like stats like this is how much uh energy you're putting into this relationship. This is like energy points. This is how it could be better. This is how you're kind of fucking up. Um these are all your good memories. These are your bad memories and I just felt like I had so much um perspective coming out of that experience and just a confirmation of what was important is like, man, like those relationships are really important to me. Um, I, there are ways that I could be better in those relationships. Um, so the way I've heard it described ayahuasca is that it might not give you all the answers, but it sort of gives you an indi- like a hint as to how you could be better. Like someone described it once, like you inhabit the body of Barry Bonds for one at bat. And you feel like, oh man, if I was Barry Bonds, this would be feel like to be able to crush homers. And then, and then you wake up and you're not Barry Bonds, but you get that sense like, oh man, that's what it would be like if I was operating a little bit better. So that was that experience. I did two nights there with Lucho and did two in Brazil and then one in Argentina. So that was the ayahuasca man. But yeah, I cannot, I definitely don't like, it's so hard with ayahuasca because you don't want to become that person that, recommends it to everybody but at the same time you still kind of want to recommend it to everybody (laughs) phil let me ask you because we're just running short on time there's a few other questions that i really want to touch upon so walk me through how are you able to finance all this now riding your bicycle with a tent and a walkman from canada to the tip of argentina how are you able to finance all that so I left Canada. I had probably 7,000 Canadian dollars at the time of leaving, which I knew was not going to be enough, even if I was dirtbagging all the way down. <laughs> but I just felt like, man, I'm ready to leave now. I don't want to spend more time saving up. I just want to go. And if I, I can figure it out on the way, I just want to go. So I got as far as Panama City, and I was flattered to cash. And I was living in this, like, I don't know, like this half, the building was like condemned. I was living with this um, guy who made bracelets on the boardwalk in Panama City in this like one room. It was really weird, man. But I don't think that people were allowed to live in this building is the best way to describe it. And I was in there with him and I was out of money. And I was like, man, do I just pull shoot on this trip and go home? Maybe I can work, you know, for a couple months and come back here. And I was playing around with that idea. Okay, different financing ideas. And I just felt like if I don't keep going, I'm not, I'm not going to come back. Like I'm going to go up there. Some stuff's going to happen. It's going to be hard to get back here. I don't know. I just didn't want to play with that variable. So I ended up throwing a GoFundMe uh, fundraiser on my Facebook. I had a Gringo Go Go Facebook account. Threw, threw the GoFundMe up there. Had the initial goal of like $3,000. Ended up getting over $10,000. was like more than enough to finish out the trip. So had like well over a hundred donors on it, people that I knew, a lot of people that I didn't know. So it, it was also just a really cool to bring in a lot of people into the trip. Um, so it ended up being kind of an incredible way to finish it out. But Gringo uh, GoFundMe was the, was the way I got there. Dude, I love that. So you're in South America, or I'm sorry, you're in Central America at this point. You run out of money. And you're still able to kind of just see the light and not 
over catastrophize and, you know, let that deter your plans of making this voyage complete. So let me ask you, Phil, what would be some advice that you can give somebody else who might have an aspiration to want to try and do a similar trip or maybe they're too kind of stuck on their phones or onto the internet and they're too afraid to make a trip to south america because all they see is all the danger surrounding and you and i just talked about two crazy experiences you know going from going through narco experiences and not having spanish as pretty much a first second third or any comprehension language and what would be some advice that you could give others who are gun shy, who are standing around waiting for the right time to go to South America, Central America, and enjoy themselves? What could be some advice you would give? Well, you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to be by. I'm the guy who rode a bicycle through South America, so you know I'm I'm by, I'm going to say, shoot it, go for it. But um, if you if you need some better advice, you need a better reason. I think. What became the reason that I left is because I was, I, I just really didn't want to regret not going. Once I realized that it was something important to me and that was just, you know, it, it had been an idea that I had for 10 years. So maybe if you have an idea for two years or three years or four years, maybe if you have this sense that you want to have an adventure and it's important to you, turning your back on that call to adventure will result in regret. And... Yeah, you can always say, oh, I don't want to go there because there's risks and there always will be risks. But there is also a risk of living with regret, like growing older and wishing that you had gone gone on that trip. So you have to kind of weigh both of those things and make a decision about which consequence you're more okay with. And for me, it was just like, I don't, I don't want to live with regret. I'll, I'll handle whatever comes on the road. So yeah, I, I think if you're struggling... Um, to to make a trip like this and maybe you're a little bit scared just know that like getting older and not going on the trip also has risks associated with it so i don't know if that helps anyone out there but yeah i i definitely just say go for it i think you won't regret going for it but you might regret not going for it so I love that, man. I absolutely agree with you 100%. You just got to do it. You just got to book the flight. Don't overthink it. Don't catastrophize it too much. Whatever trip it is that's out there, you can absolutely find the time. You, you know, traveling doesn't cost as much money as everybody might kind of, you know, fear it to be. It doesn't have to be the most luxe holiday out there. It doesn't have to be a look at me on Instagram type of a holiday. You know, traveling around with a Walkman and a bicycle across North, South and Central America could be one of the most life-changing experiences that you can endure. So, Phil, why don't you talk to me a little bit about what it is that you're doing now? Talk to me about 2022, Phil. 2022, Phil, is... Uh, so I'm living in Ireland now. It's kind of crazy because you're an American guy um, talking to me from Colombia. I'm a Canadian guy talking to you from Ireland. Um, so four countries involved in this phone call. I'm living in Ireland now. I'm, I'm doing my degree in medicine at the University of Limerick. Uh, two oh, years into that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. Um, but two years into that, two more years to go, and then hopefully returning to Canada and we'll be in a position where I can go on more crazy trips, man. That's, that's, uh, that's the update. 
I love it. I love it, man. And I'm sure you're going to have some new epic voyages coming soon. I can't wait to hear them. So I'm going to wrap this up. I'm trying to keep it under an hour. So uh, my last question, which I ask every one of my guests, is if there is one thing that you would like to be remembered by, what would it be? I think if people remember me as a guy who was maybe he didn't have all the answers, but he went for it and he was crazy enough to go for it. And that's it. Like, I, I don't need to be remembered for actually ha- like doing anything, but just having being crazy enough to lose sight of shore and have the adventure that was Phil. And uh, if I'm remembered by that, that'd be a good deal. I love it, brother. Well, Phil Gringo Gogo, I couldn't thank you enough for being on the podcast. Absolutely epic stories. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time. Thanks, Nick. Absolutely. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Get Lost with Nick Hefty. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with all your friends and make sure to tune back next week where we have another epic episode for you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.